Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 125 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here today and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Now today's episode was originally aired on Thursday the 5th of July 2018. But it's such a good episode I thought I would reshare it with you guys and also give me a little bit more time to get stuff organised because I've been super busy with work and haven't really had time to get anything sorted for you guys. So I apologise for that. But this episode will set us up nicely for a few episodes I'm planning to do in the very near future and it's about getting ready for the race season. It's about getting prepped mentally, physically, getting your bike prepped getting ready to get on those trails and have a good bit of fun racing this season. Now it doesn't matter if it's your first time or you have been doing this for years. This is good information. It'll get you in the right frame of mind. It'll get you ready for the upcoming race season. So I thought it would be a good episode for you guys to re-listen to. It's kind of in tune with what we're chatting about and uh, may make things easier for you if it's your first time Entering races, finding out how you go about that, what you have to do, how to register, what to expect, how to train for, all that kind of stuff. Now, Alex has been driving around Europe doing loads of cool things for a number of years now and he has been taking part in the EWS. He's been a enduro racer for quite a long time. So it was great to get him on the show. I had his girlfriend, Amanda, on the show previously to this episode. Now it's way back, as I say, in uh, 2018. So you can go back and listen to that. The All the info's on the show notes regarding that. So let's get Alex Holakoa on the podcast and get you stoked about entering races this season and answer the questions that I'm sure you have about how to get involved. Hi Alex, how are you doing? Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. Thanks very much for coming on. How's things with you there this evening? It's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm happy to be on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. And um, where are you at at the minute? I know you and Amanda are on the road there. Yeah, so we are currently, well, you could say we got here a bit early, actually, but we're actually at the venue for the fourth round, I think it is, of the Enduro World Series, which is on the border of Slovenia and Austria, which in a place called Jamnica or Petzen. So that's where we are residing for the next week or so. Very cool. And you were saying it was super warm there today? Oh, yeah, it's been like... It's been about 36, 37 degrees here today, like really humid. And then like within the past couple of hours of recording this with you, it's just been like an absolute massive manic thunderstorm. So it's, it's quite nice, actually. Like it's just the rain we've been waiting for to cool the whole place down. Yeah, cool. And, and what would you do on a day like that today, bike-wise? Would you go out? Would you cut runs short? What What would you do? What do you mean if the temperature was so hot or if the thunderstorm came when we were yeah, out? Yeah, so hot. No, it's just being so hot there. Um... I'd, we'd probably still end up going out, but um, I don't know if the ride would usually be as long as um, as it usually would, just because of the heat. Uh, obviously, with the dog as well, so we can't go out for too long a ride when it's so hot because we make sure he's all right. Unless he comes with us, then we've got to make sure we've got like lakes or rivers on the way around so we can keep him cool, sort of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. sounds good. Um, and. You're you're mainly on the show, and I have to say thanks to Amanda, your girlfriend there, um, probably knowing more so for 
being Wolf Girl MTB. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we had her on the podcast there a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, thanks to Amanda for getting you on because I reached out to her and asked you if you'd be keen to come on and chat about how to prepare for an enduro race because we've been asked by a few of the listeners how to go about that and if I could get somebody on to chat about that. So um, I know you have a wee bit of background in that and everything. So thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And I know this is going to be an interesting chat. Yeah, no worries. Ironically, you just you were talking about Amanda when we were driving. We've just had a week relaxed, actually. We had a week down in Slovenia at these uh, real nice lakes. And on the drive over here this morning, she's like, oh, my, my podcast has been released that I did with Gareth on the MTV Tribe show. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, should we listen to it in the, in, in the van? She was like, no. Uh, anyway i went ahead and put it on and uh within five minutes she had her own earphones in because she hated the sound of her own voice but i really enjoyed listening to it there's some real good insights that you know from an outsider's perspective i think it, yeah. people would be able to draw quite a lot of value from but yeah it's um that was quite a funny funny moment of today i you know nobody nobody likes listening to their own voice i have done over 40 episodes now and i have to listen to each episode maybe a couple of times minimum just to edit and do whatever i have to do and make sure stuff's uploaded properly and all and i still hate the sound of my own voice (laughs) (laughs) so it doesn't get any better (laughs) your own voice just sounds horrendous not yours i mean everyone thinks their own voice sounds horrendous (laughs) yeah it's weird but you know it's funny because you hear yourself in a completely different way but yet the you know your friends and whoever listened to it that's the way you sound so it sounds no different to them but it just sounds completely different to yourself i know do you know what someone actually taught me the science behind this as well i'm not going to go into this because i will bore your listeners to death but there's something about some frequencies and inside your body that makes it like when you when you're talking you think you sound one way but in in actual real realize realizing that you sound completely different so if say you record yourself on video <laughs> sound completely different um but yeah anyway we're not here to talk about bloody frequencies and (laughs) hating the sound of our own voices (laughs) yeah um okay cool all right so let's chat about how to get involved in enduro racing then and there's a few different elements behind this i want to chat to you about so i want to kind of take it from almost a complete beginner's kind of look at it on how you go about doing stuff and that so First of all, let's talk a wee bit about how to get involved and how to enter a race as such, because that's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a mind boggle because there's so much info out there, but there's nothing really that specific. So tell us from your perspective then, what are you racing? Where are you and what kind of discipline are you racing in at the minute then? Okay, so yeah, we'll break this down to a few points. So if you i'm currently racing as a privateer doing the majority of the ews races this year which is i think is probably the highest level enduro race you can race on a mountain bike okay so that's uh, that's the same as sam hill and all them guys is it yeah so they, they're in the same category if you like okay. um yeah and then obviously filtering down from that there's all sorts of um continental races european events and then obviously you go into like national races and local like sort of regional races. So there's like a whole spectrum of, uh, you know, endurance, enduro kind of events that you can enter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wherever you're coming into the sport, this might, sorry, this might cross over a bit in terms of how you get into racing and, um, 
and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, whatever level you're coming into enduro, say, let's say we're talking from complete beginner, um, there are so many regional events that you can go and find. You know, it's absolutely booming at the minute, the enduro scene. You can literally go on, I think there's a website called Roots and Rain, which yeah. has like a which like has a calendar for literally, um, you know, if we're talking to your UK listeners, for, for instance, there's like literally, they list on that website every single um, mountain bike event that you can literally go and enter. And you can split it up into categories. So you can go and find enduro events, you can go and find downhill events, you can go and find uplift days. Um, you know, it really is like, it's so, it's a lot easier than people think. Like it seems to be, maybe a bigger barrier than uh it actually is because you just need to literally find a location and there'll be a link there you go click it and find the details out about it and then it'll give you a breakdown of you know what the place is like um what the re- the race is like and and so forth and you can just enter mm-hmm. from there and with enduro being like i think enduro is so um as a discipline it's so easily accessible for literally 99% of everybody who has a mountain bike or wants to get into mountain biking. Um, it's just absolutely amazing compared to say downhill, for example, um, downhill, you could say that's like the formula one of mountain biking, which sometimes people look at that and yeah, it looks really cool and something that someone wants to try. But in, in, you know, in reality, it's like, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If I'm fast enough, I don't know if I can, you know, buy a downhill bike and go and do X, Y, and Z. Whereas enduro, you can literally get a bike and you can literally pedal out your front door and go and do quote unquote enduro. You can ride up a mountain and then ride back down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much where it starts for most people, I think. Yeah. Um, so the downhill stuff is known as the UCI. That's the World Cup stuff. Yeah, so okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I actually, I actually just saw an interesting thing on the on the internet before saying that the UCI are going to start playing a role in enduro, which is going to oh, be really? quite interesting. Yeah, I've just literally seen that in the past twenty minutes, which I uh, don't know if that's good or bad. Um, yeah, we'll see how that pans out though. Yeah. Okay. Now, so how do you enter those races then? So is it is it a simple as going onto a website, filling in a registration form, paying your fee and showing up? Or do you need to qualify for races? Do you need to be a certain standard, let's say, before you can go into one of the EWS races? Yeah, so let's say, so some of the smaller races, the regional races, you don't technically need a license for them. You can just let you pay your money, turn up and do the race. Um, if the race is associated with, like, um is say a slightly bigger race you may need to have like a british cycling license which you can get obviously online which basically says you're part of the british cycling community and you're you know sort of fit and healthy to race your bike mm. uh, is that done through your club alex you, is that you could, well i think anybody can um sign up and get a membership and a race license through british like a british the british cycling governing body website real simple to do right um, I'm not. I don't quote me unless I'm not too sure if it's like um, it's like you need them for all injury races. But then, obviously, if you start racing at higher level, say national races in the UK, or you go to Europe or America, or wherever you go, then it starts getting a bit more complicated in terms of needing 
like a race, a, you know, a, obviously a proper race license to say you mm. can race outside of the UK. And then obviously at some races you do need, you do need um, to qualify for the events as well. So say the EWS, um, there are certain some circumstances where you have to have qualifying points to get into those rounds. Right. Okay. And to find out that information, would it be as easy just going on to the website of the competition you're entering to find out what's required? Yeah. So it's easy as going onto the website of the competition or the series you want to enter, and it'll tell you the criteria you've got to meet in terms of wanting to do that race. So say if you want the want to do an EWS as like a long term goal, you'd go onto their website and it would tell you how many like qualifying points that you would need to do the race series and just the yeah so then obviously you can go and find races out there that are labeled as enduro world series qualifier events where you can pick those points up at okay all right so it, it's all pretty simple pretty straightforward but you kind of need a plan of action almost before you would kind of just throw yourself into it mm-hmm yeah, you, yeah. You kind of need to know where you want to go, what your end goal is, almost before you start. Yeah, yeah. I would go with that. Right. Okay. So, um, how about insurance then? How does that work? Insurance. Uh, is that a whenever, personal thing, or? Well, whenever I've raced in, <laughs> whenever I've raced in the UK, I've never actually taken out any, you know, extreme insurance, say, because you're you're generally covered under the NHS. Um, however, some people have, I know they've taken out like, um, I can't remember what the insurance you would call it, but basically if you were self-employed basically, and you say you broke your arm racing down or riding your mountain bike, then this company would obviously pay out a certain amount, like a fee to cover you whilst you were off recovering. Um, when it comes to insurance racing overseas for me and Amanda, we've basically got like quite a high level travel insurance that that ha- just just so happens to cover us for racing certain mountain bike events but um there's a couple of events mainly mainly mass start races so like the the, the mountain of hell or the mega avalanche there's a lot of insurance companies that won't cover you to do that race you have to have specialist insurance um some companies do cover you but there's there's there aren't that many anymore just because of the, the I guess they see it as quite a dangerous event, if you like, racing, well, I suppose it is really, racing a thousand people on mountain bike race down a mountain. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so you have to have, you know, even higher level insurance again for that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's talk a wee bit about cost involved, um, because I did see a thing online there recently about the cost of, the licenses to enter some of the races going up and stuff so what kind of do you know off the top of your head how much a license is a license would probably cost you if we're talking um if if i'm going to compare british so if you bought went to go and buy a british cycling license off their website you'd buy you'd have to buy a membership first and then buy a race license and it would probably come to probably cost you less than 100 pounds for the year and there's all sorts of perks and benefits to different levels you can buy, um, depending on you know which races you want to buy, which race you want to enter. Sorry, um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of you know benefits to paying more or you know, whatever. But then there's obviously take the Enduro World Series again. Um, they have they've tried to set up they've well successfully set up their own 
I don't know if you want to call it an entity or not, but to race their uh, their series or a race, there is an option there to buy a membership, buy an EWS membership. And obviously you get certain perks with that in terms of, um, like if you wanted to race it long-term, you'd have to buy an EWS membership because without a membership, you cannot collect EWS points, which is pretty useless. So if you were just wanting to do the odd one or two races, then I'm not too sure if you actually need a license, uh, sorry, a, a membership as such. But if you wanted to look at racing long-term and you wanted to do the full series, etc., and you wanted to collect points, then a membership is pretty um, beneficial. And you can race that one if you want to collect points. Yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah. Um, how about the cost of entering a race? I know it'll vary, but roughly what's the average price? Yeah, it varies. I mean, the prices keep going up and down, I guess, but uh, mainly up. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, enduro, like if you went to go and do like a, a national or regional enduro race, they, they range anywhere between about 50 and 70 quid for the weekend, which is, um, you know, some, some races you get some absolute, like, amazing stage to race you get fed you get all sorts which is great um but then if you look at the enduro world series it's uh slightly different again like uh, you know you're probably looking at about 150 to 200 pound per yeah. per event okay um but with the only thing with those is that obviously when you turn up like i at first sight when i entered the aws the first time around i was like christ that's quite steep because obviously i've never been used to paying that much for a race but as soon as you turn up, you know, you can almost see where your money is going because you're literally catered for from the moment you get there. I'm not saying that they provide you the accommodation or anything, but you just have that feel that it's so much more professional and you can just get a good feel and a sense of what you're actually paying for and where your money's going. Yeah, yeah, okay. So just a more professional setup, you're catered for a wee bit better, probably. Yeah, just like that and the venues at these places these um the competitions go to is phenomenal like uh, you know the the amount of places brand new places that ews has been to in the past couple of years is amazing it just takes you know mountain biking to a whole new level in terms of getting out there and seeing all these new places in mountain biking which you probably would never have heard of outside of a race or if you weren't invited to go or you know it's mm-hmm. fantastic yeah Okay, so let's break it down a wee bit and let's look a wee bit at your costing because I want to chat to you as well about being a privateer and what that means. But how many races are you attending when you're out in Europe there? So when we're out, we've been we've been out in Europe now for three months, I think, and we'll probably be here for another couple more um, before we go home for a short break. Um, and we've done... I think I'm entered into three EWS races so far and potentially a fourth one. Um, oh, no, one, two, th- no, sorry. I'm entered in three EWS races so far and potentially another two more, which is, um, yeah, which, is, which would be great. And then mm-hmm. obviously around those races, um, we've been looking at the calendar and trying to see like where, you know, where, what can we go to that's feasible? What can we go to that actually works with our schedule? Because, sometimes races aren't feasible even though they're on the calendar you might have to drive in the wrong direction to where you wanted to go to get to this mm-hmm. race so sometimes we've we've knocked races on the head because they just don't fit in with the, the the route we're going or um not that we've got a set route or anything but if we've got some main races and main places you want to be we sort of like almost fill in the gaps with races and places to visit so you know 
some some races we've just got to knock on the head, like I say, because they're just too far out of the way. Um, yeah. We've been we've spent a few we've spent a few weeks in Slovenia just because it wasn't too far too far fetched to where we wanted to you know to this next EWS, and that's why Amanda. And well, myself actually, I got too excited, and we raced last weekend in a in near Maribor, which is fantastic. Like, um, yeah. Have you got a budget set aside for entrance fees to the races? Do you know how much you'll have spent by the end of your five months or so? Um, I don't have. I wouldn't say I have a budget as such for racing fees or anything. Um, I'd probably say that. Because we're not we're not doing this as like two quote tourists. We're like obviously we're living on the road and earning earning our living mm-hmm. mobilely. So um, we're I, th- I think with both of us we don't actually have a set budget of how much we're spending on racing. Um, but I think we just you know proportion our money out and put a percentage towards it. I mean if it's going to go towards um, making cool content or making either of us faster on a bike then we'll see how we can make it work and go to it and just, yeah, if it's something we both want to do, then we'll we'll try and make it happen. Yeah, okay, cool. So let's talk, Alec, about you being a, about you being a privateer racer then. Okay. So uh, tell us about that and what does that involve? So being a privateer racer means basically you are, to, an, to a level, self-funded. Um, you attend all the races off your own back so um if you are obviously supported by a big team they'll obviously pay for your entries they'll pay for you to get to the races they'll pay for all your expenses etc etc uh we don't get any of that we literally you know obviously we get our bike supplied the kit supplied etc but we still have to pay our own way we still have to pay for accommodation get to the actual events uh, fund ourselves when we're there and make sure everything's catered for off our own backs. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what would be the main difference then between yourself as a privateer and, say, a paid pro rider? Difference in terms of. What would they be getting that you don't, you know, would they be getting accommodation paid for? Would they be getting, you know, does the team support help? Does training help facilities? You know, what, what are the difficulties with being a privateer that maybe a pro rider doesn't really have to put up with? Is there anything like that? Everything. <laughs> That's the easy answer to your question. Literally everything. Like, um, <clears throat> you'd be surprised how much mental energy being a privateer takes away from you and having to think about every single aspect of racing. So, mm um take just one ews event um like i would be quite content with doing just the ews series in a year and no other races now it's only like five or six and i'm sorry i think there's eight races this year mm-hmm. which that's it sounds quite a lot but they take that much mental energy and and physical energy out of you but as as well as being uh as well as the actual race if you attend them as a privateer and you have to think about you know where are you going to park your motorhome if you've got one or a van or whatever? Or if not, where are you going to stay in accommodation? How are you going to feed yourself? Um, is your bike going to be in perfect running order after each day, practice day and race day? Um, how to keep your body intact? Because that's obviously yeah. you endure, the endurance, 
the Enduro World Series race that I raced in Alags, which was my first one, a few months ago was like a massive eye-opener for me. It was probably the longest four days on a bike I've ever had. And it made me it made me realize, like, one, how much these top boys put into, like, being at the top. But then it also made me realize the difference between, like, being a pro rider and going as someone like me who doesn't get all this pro support. Like, being able to just get back from a practice day and just hand your bike to a mechanic and then just yeah. go off and, you know, just look after yourself or is... It, 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 from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't sound like much when you actually race and you get back from a big long day of practice and all you want to do is sit down and relax, but yet you have to then cook your dinner and then you have to, you know, look over your bike and make sure it's all in working order. It, it takes it takes so much more out of you. And obviously energy management when it comes to these races is massive. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, that's where the biggest advantage is coming as being a pro rider against the privateer, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about somebody coming into this who's pretty new or pretty green. And I was trying to think, okay, so what are the things you wouldn't actually think about? Okay, there's the physicality and we'll we'll chat about that. But there's also the mental side of it, which you've touched on a wee bit there. But then people probably don't think about the mechanical side. So I want to chat about that as well. Okay. Um, because it's all things you're going to have to do. There's no point in you going and entering an enduro race and you know you you break off your back derailleur in the first the first stage and you don't know how to put on a new one. You're kind mm-hmm. of snookered almost. So there's all <laughs> there's all those aspects. Um, so let's chat about them a wee bit. Um, so let's talk about how to prepare physically then. So I know when with social media and all the pros being on that constantly with everything they're doing, like nowadays the guys at the top level all do training off the bike as well and are obviously in in great physical shape. What do you do off the bike to stay at the level you're at? Yeah, good question. Um, So over, not so much now on the road, which is is um over the over the winter time like uh, you want to call it the off season if you like um i spent a lot of time training off the bike in the gym um mm-hmm. might not be some people some people don't like it but i love i love training in the gym um that helped me build a pretty pretty strong a pretty strong base so i worked with a coach as well this winter which is the first time for well I worked one-to-one with a coach, which, which is my first experience as well, which um, mm-hmm. I worked with someone called Simon Hall from Body Composition Coaching, who was, um, he basically, again, having a coach, just took all the guesswork out of everything. So, you know, we worked on mainly just getting me stronger as a person because if you'd seen me in person prior to this year, like I'm not saying I'm uh, like a massive person, even now, but before I started training in the gym properly and looking after myself in terms of nutrition, I was quite small and skinny, which translated quite a lot onto the bike. Um, you know, I have, I felt like I had a lot of bike skill, but then to some level, if you don't have, um, if you aren't strong, 
physically, then bike skill will only take you a certain, you know, it only take you so far. You need mm-hmm. to have like a combination of them both, in my, you know, in my opinion. So obviously we worked, we worked over the winter on that stuff, which helped massively. Um, and then when it came close to the season, it, it got, things got a bit more specific and we started doing um, more bike specific stuff in terms of sprints on the bike. Um, and then when we actually decided to, when, so when we left and set off on our European trip, um, I pretty much stopped going to the gym altogether um, in, an, in an actual physical gym just because, it, you know, it's, it's quite hard to find on the road. This is, this is going to sound like an excuse, but it's going to, it's going to, um, it's hard to find a gym on the road, like to find, it's not hard to find a gym on the road. There's gyms absolutely everywhere. So in the end, what we, we did was we, I found, um, I don't know if you've heard of like, a, they're called TRXs. It's like a, it's basically like a suspension trainer, which is basically, um, two, almost like two straps, probably about eight feet long. And you can attach them to practically anything that hangs horizontally overhead and you can use them to trick you know to train with to do pull-ups off to do push-ups mm-hmm. with you can so that's just like a small piece of training equipment i use on the road as well as just some bodyweight workouts now just to keep keep myself going um but that's that's probably happening about twice a week um mm-hmm. depending on what what race are coming up or whatever because we literally spend I'm finding now when we're away here, we're spending quite a lot more time on the bike, which is obviously great for making, um, bringing up aerobic fitness and bike skill and stuff, but um, still got to try and try and keep the strength in there as well where possible. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I did see a couple of your videos and you were going into the car park and doing workouts and stuff. And yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but when you were working with your coach, um, was that a bike tailored fitness program? Um, I wouldn't say uh, the guy I worked with Simon. He's um, he knew the demands. He came from a gymnastic background. Um, he knew the demands that the sport placed upon me, but he wasn't exactly mm-hmm. a specific bike coach himself. Um, but by obviously by watching videos and stuff, like, he knew what I was was doing and wanted to race. So he could literally see what body parts were, you know being used the most and what we need to work on from there so you know a lot of the program that a lot of the programming that he did for me was based on um trying to move as many muscle groups as possible you know like doing big compound lifts like deadlifts chin-ups pull-ups press-ups just pretty much that's all these all the movements that would translate over to to mountain biking so a lot of um unilateral work as well which is like single leg and single arm movements Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I had a gentleman called James Wilson on the podcast way back early in the early days, and um, he's actually known as Bike James. He, <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard of him? Bike yeah, I've, I've had a. Tra- ironically, I've had a training program off him. Yeah, yeah. So interesting because he used to coach Arn, train Arn Gwennon all you know. Yeah, yeah. Back that's in what, the day, that's, that's what inspired me to get a, get a program off him actually. Right, cool. Well, I've done his program. Um, really? Yeah. Um, the all-round... Yeah. Called? All-round MTB workout or something. I think that's the one I've got, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? 
see when I initially started, now I chat to him, you know, by email, so we keep in touch um, because he's wanting to know my feedback on it. But I come from, you know, I've surfed for years and, I, you know, I've always trained. But that was, that workout was so different to anything I had ever done. Yeah. Um, but you see about, I thought it was too easy. A couple of weeks in, I was like, this is too easy. But you can understand why when you get into it a wee bit more. But I definitely seen a difference on the bike when I done that routine. Yeah, I know I know exactly where you're coming from in terms of thinking it was or different or easy. Because I, if I'm honest with you, I took the approach, I got that program and took the approach that I, not, not that I knew better, but I almost like, I thought I, I thought I knew, I, I, didn't, I didn't really feel right to be doing what he was teaching me. And because I, I had the mindset that going to the gym, you have to be pushing yourself like to physical ex- exhaustion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you'd be doing, exactly. I, it was, it was tr- basically you go into the gym to try and lift as much weight as you can sort of thing. But if you go through and use one of James Wilson's um, uh, mountain bike training programs, if he still has them on sale there, um it's a lot i think if actually to be honest with you if you go and get any follow any mountain bike strength training program now from most coaches they'll be fairly similar to what james wilson was teaching in terms of building a strong base of mobility um and then working almost like a pyramid so mm-hmm. you know you strengthen your um the power sort of aspects of it would be towards the tip of the pyramid that you'd be training towards the um wherever your peak in the season was um, so it was like completely opposite to me and I almost didn't want to listen to him. I was like, this is, this isn't right. And, and because I had that mindset, obviously I just gave in and thought, oh, I know better. I'll get, some, I'll, I'll just do what I'm used to doing, just lifting as heavy as I can, which yeah. is not, if you want to specifically train to get better on a mountain bike, that's not the way to do it. No, and I, I found it similar and I had, but I, I stuck with him because I obviously had a good chat with him. I, the guy is unbelievably talented and intelligent when it comes to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend that actually goes to the same gym as him and does, um, okay. They do a martial art anyway. They both do a martial art. And Louis was telling me that James is just phenomenally strong, mm. so flexible. The man's just a mountain. Um, and, you, you would come out of doing one of his training sessions, 45, 50 minutes, and you'd almost feel that you haven't really done anything. You you would have struggled to broke a sweat or something like that. But you see, on the mountain, on the bike, I was definitely riding better, faster, taking the compressions better, doing all that kind of thing. It was, it was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can understand why. Yeah. Um, so when you were at home and stuff then and going to the gym, how many times would you go to the gym a week? Uh, a week would probably be three, maybe four. Three, depending on what I was doing. Like my, my even though I don't really, I have quite a flexible working pattern. Um, I usually would go to the gym back at home on a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just basically alter, you know, a, a day in the gym and then a, a, a day to rest afterwards and so on and then we would ride at the weekend but it depends obviously it depends how it all pans out um some days some days it would be three some days it may only be two depends how intense it was and what part of the, the season we were in or yeah mm-hmm. cool and then when you were on the bike would you have done 
any specific kind of enduro training on the bike? Would you have done interval training or would you have done... Because James Wilson also does that. He does an on-the-bike thing and an in-the-gym thing. And um, I was trying to do his bike stuff as well. Um, but when you're out with me, it's, it's difficult, you know. So how would you have got around that and how would you have trained specifically to enhance your skills and stuff when you're on the bike? Yeah, good question. Um, well, to be honest with you, any, well, I, if anyone who buys, uh, invests in a... One second, I just need to close these, close these blinds. We're getting some uh, mosquitoes inside. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right, so, yeah, in my eyes, anyone who invests in, in themselves and into a training program... They obviously are doing it for, well, I think they want to do it for a, a good reason, which um, when you're going out with mates and you are, say you have a training program that you want to stick to, um, sometimes it can be almost like being, like holding your own holding your own guns and just being like, look, I've got to do training or, you know, it's that famous saying that if something's important to you, you'll make the time for it, which is something I strongly believe in. Like if something isn't so important, you'll not make the time for it. So, um, you know, if mountain bike, what mountain biking was of importance to you, then you'd most probably find the time to go to the gym or to do a sprint session or, you know, find time to prep your nutrition or look in, you know, work on getting some good quality nutrition inside you. Um, mm. Yeah. You know, for, say, a weekend warrior mm-hmm. that's wanting to enter races more for fun or something like that, as far as fitness, do you think just doing what they do at the weekend is okay? Would that would that carry over to be able to still enjoy themselves in an enduro race? Maybe not be fully competitive, but are just going for the social aspect. Do you still think that's okay to do? Yeah, of course. Like, I mean... I, I, buying whatever we've just talked about if you aren't enjoying enjoyment and having fun has to be the first thing like because if you aren't having fun the passion isn't there and if that's not there you you aren't going to stick it out and you're not going to enjoy it and you'll most probably give up and try and find something else which is you know it's been my experience and probably many other people's who are listening to this um but like i was saying before to be good or have good you know to, to perform well on a mountain bike i think you have to have a mix of both bike skill bike handling skill strength mobility flexibility it's almost like an all-rounded package so yes like i know i know a fair few people that are um absolutely amazing on a bike in terms of bike handling skills but yet when it comes to strength then they don't have they don't have strength that'll to keep them up on their bike. So say if they if they hit a big compression or they go off a jump slightly ski with, they haven't got the strength there, or like their body almost doesn't know how to recover from it. So mm-hmm. that's another thing to think about. But I think um, if we're talking from like uh, a weekend for a weekend warrior, then it wouldn't harm you know. Even just, a, it doesn't have to be, when when you say, to, when you say you need to do, if you want to get better on a mountain bike, you need to train off the bike as well on the bike. I think people get the wrong impression and think, oh, I've got to spend hours in the gym every week and I just don't have that time. You know, I'm working a nine to five job, uh, riding on the weekends, I just can't fit it all in. But in hindsight, like, 
you could probably do if you had a spare hour every week and split that hour up into three 20 minute slots like monday tuesday wednesday monday wednesday friday sorry or something like that mm. you would definitely build something of like you, you could build something really strong you could you could build a much stronger athlete um to make you you know that, that would translate over to your riding um yeah you don't have to be spending hours short like if you look at again if you compare a weekend warrior or a private not so maybe not a privateer but if you compare a weekend warrior to a pro racer who is focused on racing and nothing else literally their whole life is focused around racing like at the last dws i did quite a lot of riding around with jerome clement and i was asking him a few questions about enduro racing and asked him why he stopped racing and he basically said, if you are racing enduro racing, or any racing, in fact, on a mountain bike, you have to be 100% focused on just that. So it's you are literally either riding, you're training, or you're resting, or you're, <laughs> you're eating. You're not like, mm-hmm. you know, sure, you can go out and socialize and stuff, but that's almost like on the back burner because you're so focused on training and everything that is around that. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, depends which level when you want to take it to. Um, but I think a week for someone who just wants to have fun on their bike and do the odd race at the weekend, a small bit of training an hour a week probably wouldn't do any damage at all. Um, in fact, it'd probably save you time and <laughs> make you a lot better on the bike. Yeah. You know? Make you probably enjoy it a wee bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's another big thing. Like a lot of people, when they hit plateaus, it, it can be because they've almost hit that plateau of bike skills. So they've like, um you know they've reached a point where their body or their strength won't take them any you know they they won't take they won't go any further until they work on their strength and work on themselves mm-hmm. um so you know again on that front you, you can get frustrated when you hit plateaus and stuff and it can demotivate you but again if you're getting stronger and you can almost see your progression that's just going to make things more fun you get it's going to help you carry on and keep love for the sport yeah because you, you hear you hear it quite a lot um part of strength ratio you know that being thrown out quite a lot so you can still be quite lean and mean as i like to call it and be very good <laughs> on the bike because you're light but you don't carry much body body fat as such but you can still be strong and thin if you like oh yeah for sure definitely like if you look at um like say if you look at some of the people i look up to like josh bryceland or someone like that um he has got phenomenal bike skill like absolutely phenomenal but he's also real strong on the bike as well um like but you wouldn't if you look at him you wouldn't you wouldn't instantly tell from my perspective you wouldn't instantly tell that um same with who likes of i'm just trying to think of somebody else off my head who's like who's really strong but doesn't actually you wouldn't think so off the top of your head uh um <laughs> who else at races enduro i know of um pretty much if you look at most of the top guys that they're, they're built for endurance and going for long distances and they look um bar bar a few exceptions there's a lot of them who have the same similar physique you know um they are fairly lightweight but yet they pack a powerful punch in terms of they can they are strong and they are powerful um you know if you can and if you compare it to downhill riders who obviously aren't made for 
pedaling for four days solid. They're just made for all-out power and sprints for the four minutes. They've got a totally different makeup as well. Um, like if you look at someone like Giatha, and he's just like an absolute Greek god, if you ask me. He's just a machine. <laughs> like mm, you wouldn't yeah. see anything like him but you know if you if you compared him to an enduro racer they, they're two different breeds of um, athlete completely different breeds of athlete yeah interesting so not only is their bikes very different but their body physique's very different exactly because they're you know they're made for doing different things uh, i'm not saying yeah. one can't do the other or vice versa but um one's obviously you know developing a body that's better for endure uh, that's more endurance based is is better for that sport like say for instance um my body type lends itself to endurance type sports i'm quite long lean and i don't know what you call myself and i'm an ectomorph that's it an ectomorph long (laughs) long length slim i find it hard to gain weight um and then you have other people on the other end of the scale who are you know much more quote chunkier if you like but more built for power and strength um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Now, just um, on a side note, if, is there anything else you would advise people to do training-wise um, or any other advice on that side of things if they're traveling? Because a lot of people do go away and travel now for a month and do that. So what gym equipment do you take with you? You, you mentioned your straps there. Is there anything else you would advise taking? Running shoes or anything, anything like that that would help? Yeah, so we oh god sorry we we, obviously we live in a motorhome we've only got a certain amount of space and anyone who's traveling is probably in the same boat um so you can't be you can't really be um log you know lugging around kettlebells or dumbbells with you so we bought um a suspension trainer which is what i was saying before which was basically a basically two straps which allows you to do a lot Mm. of core training on um and a lot of basically all the fundamental movements which is almost great for just maintaining um you know a good physique when you're away um and we've also got um some i've got some red resistance bands as well which are really handy when you're versatile when you're on the road because it just you can add intensity to intensity to a workout so easily um and these things obviously take up no space and weigh next to nothing so they're fantastic just literally that's the two piece of equipment we've got as well as um i've got some gym shoes and you have some gym kit that's literally it and a hat yeah. and a hat to keep the hair out of the way <laughs> <laughs> that's legit. Oh, i've got you know and uh, i've got an app on my phone as well actually called i've been getting quite into um quite recently inspired by adam brayton actually he's um a pretty pretty fast downhiller he he he's got me into um as well as a couple of people have got me into a, a training program or training a way of training called crossfit which is basically yeah. it's, a, it's a style of training that is is fairly intense um but i i believe it crosses over to mountain biking perfectly so it's basically a workout like a lot of workouts where you put yourself through you can exert yourself quite a lot um but i just think it translates over to mountain biking so well uh, in terms of like having to perform under like exhaust not exhaustion but when you're tired and obviously on a mountain bike that's real key when obviously when you're tired one of the things you want to try and stay and do is stay consistent and stay strong so 
this is what CrossFit has well tried to teach me, if you like, is just staying, staying strong, um, keeping your composure strong while you're going for a workout, and that translates again over to the bike. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like it would suit in the enduro thing very well. Yeah. You know, I suppose there's no point you being really strong and fit and technical on the first two or three stages when you've still another two or three stages to go and then everything goes downhill. Mm. If, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I was speaking to, um, this isn't quite an interesting point, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good friends with a, a guy called Greg Callahan, who is um, yeah. Irish enduro rider. He's probably one of the, I'm, yeah, not, I'm, no not, Greg, I think, yeah. I'm not sure what number he is in the world now. Um, and I listened to a podcast with him actually on, I think it was a downtime podcast. Is he like a rival of yours? No, 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 it doesn't matter. Um, I think, no, no, it's Chris, I think you call the fella that does it. I don't know him personally, but um, yeah, yeah, no, Chris does good stuff, yeah. Yeah, so he was talking about, um, Greg was talking about training on that interview. I don't know if it was on there, I heard it, but Greg was talking about when he went to a training camp in California at the start of this year with G. Atherton and a couple of other Red Bull athletes, and uh, when he was training for Enduro, they were doing, you know, shuttle runs up the hill, and you know, you get driven off the mountain, then you get dropped off and you ride back down. And Giathan and the downers were literally getting off the shuttle and just setting off going down the track as you would. Greg Callahan, obviously training for Enduro, was emphasizing, again, this training fatigue. So he would literally ride down the hill another 50 meters when he got dropped off at the shuttle and then do like a 50 meter sprint before he dropped into the track. So he was almost riding a track. Uh, you know exhaust not, mm-hmm. not exhausted but he was you know not feeling 100 percent before he dropped in yeah. which is more it, that relates over to racing a lot more and obviously he was talking about how he would have to set his bike set up would be different to accommodate for that feeling because he's obviously not as composed on his bike if he was 100 percent. so that was quite interesting to hear yeah i've actually heard that before um and that guys they won't set their bike up when they're feeling 100 percent yeah because when they get down the trail halfway down the trail they obviously aren't and then the bike the bike overreacts for physically what they can do or mentally what they can do yeah um so yeah they set their bike up a wee bit softer almost yeah i wouldn't say too soft but yeah like yeah enduro is a funny one like if you obviously if you're racing downhill um, you can literally you can literally fine tune your bike to such a point that it is perfect for the racetrack you're on. But enduro, because you're racing four or five, maybe even more stages over a weekend, and they could be different state, you know, different styles of stage, different styles of riding. You've got to almost balance the setup of your bike out to accommodate all the tracks. So you could, you know, you could, you don't really want to be setting your suspension up too soft on one stage that's, you know, say if you've got. Uh, a track that suits soft suspension and then you've got another track that is really steep afterwards then you wouldn't really want too too soft a suspension going down that it's almost mm. trying to find a balance between all four you know the stages you're racing over the weekend um yeah but yeah like you're saying like that, again setting up your bike you know I'm not saying go and set up your bike when you're absolutely physically exhausted but yeah like setting up your bike <laughs> ever so slightly softer than you usually would um, just to accommodate when you are starting to get fatigued, starting to get tired, and then you can yeah. still perform on your bike and still get that suspension going. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. So uh, that's a nicely done. Let's talk about the mental aspect of enduro racing then. So you obviously find it 
mentally draining. Um, so do you prepare for that in any way? Um, it's take, you know what? It's taken me, I'm, I'm safely at a point now where I can say I'm probably the men, like the most mentally strong I've been in racing in my whole life because from racing downhill from such a young age, well, not young age, when I was like, you know, back in the day racing downhill, I would place so much emphasis on the outcome and that would just ruin me completely. So say if I was racing, which my goal was to race, to get points for World Cup races, um, like qualifying points, I would focus all my energy on that and that would literally take all my focus away from riding the actual track in front of me. You know, when people say focus on the process, not the outcome, that's literally what I'm trying to say. Like, um, a lot of people focus too much on the result they want or how they want to ride a stage or basically factors outside of their control. Um, mm-hmm. whereas I'm now switch my focus completely to just focus on things that I can control, which is basically just the track in front of me. It sounds really, really like, um, not, re- you know, it just sounds too simple, too basic, but, yeah. um, you'll like, if you listen to a lot of, like I've listened to a lot of podcasts of guys recently on, on some other shows. And, um, I think it was Greg Williamson that said, actually, he was another strong downer from Scotland. He said the same thing. Like, um, he would used to try, the, the moment he cracked it when he started getting results in downhill racing was the moment he started to learn to ride inside his own head because um, he used to always just try and go as fast as he could, crash his brains out and wonder why all these guys could go so fast and he couldn't. And it wasn't until he backed it down a gear and focused on, you know, mm. r- focusing on riding inside his own head that he started to actually get quicker on his bike and get the results that he's, that he's known for now. Um, yeah. But it's the mental side yeah. of things. I mean, I don't know what like percentage you could put it down to like bike, you know, actual riding and the mental side of things. But I think the mental side almost is probably more important than actual riding in terms of, because take your confidence, for example, and Amanda's a good example. Any, any rider's a good example of this, but, um, whenever someone is more, you know, gets more confident, the bike skill improves and, and you know, it's just like a, 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 a snowball effect, which keeps getting bigger and bigger. Like that your mm. confidence improves, your bike skill improves, your bike skill improves, your confidence improves and just keeps going and going. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was going to ask you about self confidence actually. And if that played a large part in your performance. Mm. Yeah. So like I wouldn't like I'm racing to me, racing does like I, racing's in i don't want to like i've done racing for a long time and absolutely love it and would want to say that i want to make a career of it one day which is why we're doing these ews races and whatnot um but when it comes to self-confidence um i'm at the stage now where i'm not really i'm not really too worried about what other people think or what other people are doing which is another thing that used to hold me back again goes back to not trying to control something that is completely out of your control. So mm-hmm. like I would, I used to be able to, I used to get so worked up about, about other people uh, in terms of like how fast they were right. I compare myself to other people, um, focusing on how other people were setting their bikes up and thinking, Oh, should I do that? Um, maybe if someone said something about a line on the track that I hadn't done or hadn't practiced properly, then I'd be thinking about that. Uh, and it all just all these little tiny things just pull you away from the main 
the main task mm-hmm. at hand, which is just riding, riding the track in front of you and focus on the process. Um, but I'm at the point now where, you know, mountain biking is, I don't know, it's, you know, it's important to me. It's fun, but it's not the be all and end all. Like it matters, but it's, you know, we, at the end of the day, it is just mountain biking. And we, we all just do it for fun. Um, yeah. So that, I think that is, that's what we're saying before about keeping the fun in it, which is how I do it, which is basically not placing too much importance on it as well. Yeah, no, I think it's a good way to go go about it. And it might make you faster, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, like some people are completely different. Like some people are literally, like you go to a race and you'll never get any anywhere close to these people. Like, you you know, they, they're so focused that they spend all their time in the race on their own, you know, um, and you won't get anywhere, you know, you won't be able to socialize them because they're so focused on what mm. they want to achieve. And yeah, for some people, that is how they perform well at races. But other people, they just literally try and have a laugh with it. And they still do equally as well. But it's just, you know, two different kettles of kettles of people and how they deal with things. Yeah. And I always find that interesting. I, I always still, I'm always, I always try and learn from people. There's so much to learn from other people and how they do things. I'm always trying to learn from the top, even like the top races, trying to pick and learn from people on my level around me. Um, and just to see, you know, where I can learn things and adapt it to what I'm already doing, just to improve my own, own riding. Yeah, and do you have a race day morning routine? A race day morning routine. Um, do you know what? I I don't have a race day morning routine as such that I follow like religiously. <clears throat> like we, I try if I'm at a, an important race, so like an EWS or whatever, we try and prep the bike and sort as much as we can out the night before or in advance, so then we're not waking up in the morning like crap i need to sort the bike out i need to do x y and z which just takes so much energy out of you straight away and obviously enduro is a sport of trying to manage your energy and trying to keep as much reserves in the tank so usually we'll just wake up normal time um have a have quite a good breakfast not not relatively anything out the norm just try and keep things the same as usual so like religiously me and amanda have the same i've had the same breakfast now for I'm on the opposite of me now, probably like two or three years. Literally, we have like poached eggs on toast most mornings with some avocado or something. That's it. Um, sometimes, well, most of the mornings now I'll have that with like a small bowl, a small cup of oats. And that's that's literally me every single day. Um, doesn't matter if I'm doing a race or if I'm going, going to the coffee shop to do some work. It's still always the same because I know that's what helps me perform the best. Yeah, so you stick to your normal routine. You don't change it up for race day or anything like that. You just no. stick with what you know. Yeah, you stick. Yeah, I wouldn't go changing anything whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Now let's chat a wee bit quickly just about mechanical issues and stuff as a privateer, really. And you know, as guys wanting to maybe get into it and haven't done it before, and, and how they're going to have to look after yeah. their own equipment and stuff. So I'm sure it could get pretty hectic between stages. Um, if you've had a mechanical issue and you need to change something in your bike, do you have time to do that between stages or does it hold you back? How do you kind of, how do you kind of prep for that almost? Good question. Um, I don't think you can, you can't really fully prep for it. I mean, if something, if when it comes to enduro, um, 
you can do certain preparations, but obviously you can't you can't rule out everything from going wrong, like mechanical wise. Um, obviously, you can carry you can carry spares around, which is a great start. Most pros, most people who race enduros will carry spares, whether they carry that in a bag or just on themselves in like a <clears throat> you know somewhere concealed is you know it's like rider's preference um yeah because an, an, an enduro sorry sorry to cut you off there but an enduro if you have something an issue with your bike on the stage you have to do the mechanics stuff yourself up the mountain you can't have somebody come up and do that for you yeah you can't have outside assistance so right um you've got to you know you've got to think about in advance of what to take and how to prepare so when it comes to enduro um like i what goes in my bag when i go racing in joe um i usually take one probably if an ews i probably take two tubes around with me um i will probably take a um tubeless like a tubeless plug just in case mm-hmm. um a set of tire levers set of, like a multi-tool it's got a chain tool on it um and it's got a spare split link as well on there for the chain mm-hmm. uh what else would be like oh little pump um two co2 canisters um and obviously nutrition supplies and i recently just got actually this is what i didn't have at the ews last time which i had god knows how many mechanicals there it was like a bit of a letdown but it was also a big eye-opener for me like um i i've now got some tire inserts in as well my wheels so the, it's basically just like a piece of if you like it's like an over expensive an overpriced piece of pipe lagging yeah, <laughs> like, i've seen that actually this is for the tubeless this is if you're running tubeless yeah yeah it's, it was it was quite yeah. it was quite hard to get them in get them on the tire on the wheel sorry but they basically just cushions um it's supposed to minimize you know uh, flat tires when you're running tubeless it's like a tubeless system so we'll be running those the next ews and we'll see how they go but you know from the people i've heard and people around them they seem to have quite good reviews and you know they quite you know they reduce mechanical failures on the tires and stuff which is in enduro which is the the main thing that yes we've got to do to 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 perform well and do well you have to first of all make sure your bike will actually get through the weekend um like you can only have like one set of wheels one frame one set of forks so you've got to obviously make them last um Mm -hmm. and I think there's a you know in mountain biking there's a there's a you know there's a crowd of people that will <clears throat> try and make their bike as light as possible and to you know save weight which means you'll go faster blah 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 which I I get to an extent but when it comes to enduro you're already carrying all the well potentially carrying all these spares which and water which adds weight anyway um, so I wouldn't even bother trying to skimp on having lightweight parts or lightweight tires because at the end of the day your bike's still going to make it round the four potentially five days of riding you're going to do so mm-hmm. you know going for the more heavy duty stuff like downhill tires um maybe thinking about going tubeless uh what else do you think about that's heavy duty like just like heavier duty rims and spokes just basically something that's going to hold up um yeah so you would go for more um stuff that would last rather than the lightest and the best yeah and the most expensive you know more more durable stuff really. yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah that's interesting that that's interesting so alex do you need to be a good mechanic if you're a privateer 
when you're doing all this kind of stuff yourself? Um, or is that something, if you have an issue, can you take your bike to somebody in the pits area, for lack of a better word, that that will maybe look after your bike between stages or between the days racing or anything like that? Um, I think some most of the time when you EWS is you're not allowed to take your bike back to the like pits and have outside you know help however there is some i think like the last EWS i was at there was about a 30 minute break between stages that the transition went through the, the pit so you were able to stop for half an hour and add some food and sort bikes out and you know at these some of these races they have big like you know the big shram trucks there so you can go and get assistance from them um but oh, yeah so um i think usually when you're out racing it is literally no outside assistance you've got to sort everything yourself out but to be honest with you like when you're out on the trip like that's the thing that we found with enduro like it's the first sport i've done well compared to downhill it's almost like a it's quite a family sport you know everyone's in everyone knows they're in it together so you know if if uh you know if you ask you know if you have a mechanical on the trail say um the chances are someone potentially might stop to help you fix it or you know help you make sure you get back on the bike or whatever it is which i think is quite cool rather there's you know it's not just like you know just look after yourself sort of thing it's uh mm-hmm. making sure everyone gets through the whole weekend if you like so yeah i caught like that aspect of it as well you know our riders are always willing to help out each other which is great great camaraderie well, that's that's very cool yeah that that's very cool um so i've taken up enough of your time um and uh I know you've probably your bike to go and sort right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for just let's chat to you about now and the future and stuff. So how has your season been going so far? How's our season been going so far? Um, well, we agreed at the start of the season that we would just have this as like a a season that we would see what would happen in terms of like I I have no expectations whatsoever. Um, it would nice to it would be nice to see as my EWS like season goes on to see that i'm taking from each last stage and learning from it and then applying what i've learned and seeing my results improve um yeah that's pretty much it like we haven't um you know we've done some other races as well there's did a super enduro in san remo which was um again it was just a a, a weekend of chaos in terms of punches and stuff like that uh, which seems to be like the story of my life at the minute. Um, but I'm hoping with these tire inserts and a bit better, more focus on my setup of a bike and stuff, things will start to change. Um, but yeah, at the, at the minute we've got not really any massive expectations. We're just literally seeing where the performance I'm at now is putting me in the positions and stuff. And yeah, mm-hmm. and seeing if we yeah, want to carry on doing it. Cool. And where has been your <laughs> favorite sport yet? You have you have visited um this year or yeah this year i'll tell you what last i've never been to slovenia before and if i'm hoping the ews is something like last weekend's race in it we went to a place called Rus, which is just down the road from maribor where they used to have some of the downhill world cups and the ride in there literally blew my mind how good it was it was literally it was such a small race in a small place but I've never ridden riding. I I would compare that to riding, like going to Whistler or to Canada. It was absolutely amazing. Wow. Loved it there. And uh, where else did I enjoy? 
Um, even just the, like the EWS was something else. Last the last EWS in Olags in um, in France was something else. Like those, you could I could quite happily go there on a mountain bike holiday and spend weeks there, like exploring the trails. Like it was the place there was unbelievable. And the trails were just out of this world. Yeah, and that would is that quite steep and takey? Um, I wouldn't say it was. You know, there were steep parts of the trails there. But it wasn't overall like a steep place. Um, you know, there were technical sections on the track, but um, obviously the speed you ride it, I think, makes as to how technical a track can sometimes be. Um, mm. But yeah, they're like, you know, just typical French tracks, like flat out and then tight French turns, which obviously the French are known for doing really well. Just depressing <laughs> to watch because they're so good at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. So. Before I let you go, if somebody's thinking of doing something similar to yourself and Amanda there, or even thinking of maybe getting sprucing their van up and going away for a long weekend to do something, would you advise they they get themselves sorted and and enter an enduro and and get into that side of things? Is it something really enjoyable to do? Yeah, for sure, definitely. Like I would definitely. I would definitely like dip your toes in the water and see if it's something you, you know, you want to do. But I, if you enter a smaller race abroad, you know, it can be almost like going out riding with your mates outside of a race because you're not getting timed on the transitions and you're just riding. If you know, it feels like you're literally riding around with your mates. Um, so, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I'll just take it from there and see where it goes from there. Um, so how can people keep up to date with what you are doing there and, and how it's going for you, Alex? Uh, best, probably the best place to keep up to date with what we're doing is uh, on the YouTube channel, which is just Wolfpack Adventures, or obviously Instagram, which is um, at Alex Holoko, which I guess you could maybe put in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, put in the show notes. <laughs> not a baller, mate, not a baller. And I'll put uh, because I know you you get um, help with sponsors and stuff there as well, so we'll stick all that in. Oh, thank you. The show notes as as well because it all helps. Well, here, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I really hope you enjoy the rest of your time on the road there, and you have less punctures because Amanda did mention you had a bit of a nightmare about punctures. Yeah, it was an absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll change though, and I've had an absolute ball talking to you, mate it's been brilliant to have you on and you know i know people and i know the listeners are going to get a lot of info from this because if you go to look at starting some of these races it's hard to get info there that you just know what to do like an abc this is what you do yeah um so thanks so much for coming on and explaining that so well i I really appreciate it no worries no worries That's a wrap for episode 125, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Alex, thanks so much for doing that show back in the day, bro. I really do appreciate it. And I know we're chatting about getting you back on just to maybe chat a wee bit about what you've been doing since then and how things have changed and how the whole the whole traveling thing is going for you and then earning the races and all that kind of good stuff. So thanks so much for doing that. And hopefully we'll hear from you in the near future. Now, folks, if you want more information on that episode, just simply go to the show notes. You'll find them at mtb-tribe.com where you can get a little bit more insight into what we chat about. You'll get all the links to Alex's stuff, including his very, very cool YouTube channel with all that goes on there, and you won't be disappointed in that. It's very entertaining. 
Now, if you want to help the show, the best way is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on the old Apple Podcasts, because every one of your ratings helps us boost on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, you can find us and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean, and we are also on the majority of podcast apps. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show from there. You can also subscribe there. It's totally free and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to the show. If you have subscribed in the past, please just check your spam folders because I know a lot of the emails are falling into the spam folders because you've got to click another email there just to say yes, you do want to receive the emails from MTV Tribe. So please check your spam folders if you haven't received any emails and you're expecting to. Now you can also follow us on social media at MTV Tribe on Instagram and Facebook and please take screenshots, share the show, share as much as you want, share all the posts and uh, please email friends, just get them involved. We're not promoted by any brands, by anything like that, so word of mouth is really the best way to share the show and get more people listening to the podcast, get them off those sofas and onto the saddles. Now, thanks for tuning in this week, folks. I appreciate you being here once again. And um, I will join you next week for another episode of MTB Tribe Podcast. But until then, as always, get out in the trails, get the bikes out, and stay MTB stoked.